Welcome into the newsroom. Today is Thursday, September 17th, 2020. My name is Alex Castle, reporter with the East Oregonian. Happy to be joined today by Antonio Sierra, joining us uh, from his uh, home office, I assume, and uh, also our producer, Ben Lonigan. Guys, uh, it's last week we had uh, the fires was kind of one of the big stories. This week we have the smoke that's filled the area. Uh, so far, just have you guys been able to stay out of the smoke, keep it out of your house as best as possible? How have you been faring through the uh, some of the poor air quality we're dealing with in the area? Uh, yeah, uh, not, uh, not really been keeping up the smoke out too well. It feels like, uh, when you have that first big snowstorm of the year and you're kind of caught unprepared mm. and then when you go to the store, everything is out. So, you know, if you try to, you know, try to find an air, fil- air filter or an air purifier, um, and, uh, you're going to be hard pressed to find one in any local store or even online. So, just making do with with what we got and uh you know hoping it subsides soon i, I definitely feel like this is it, it feels like the longest period of time we've had this heavy of smoke so um it's it's kind of uncharted territory and just trying to, to take it day by day and hope that uh that it dissipates within the next day or two and I think it's kind of uncharted territory statewide, and I mean region-wide too, but you look at like yeah. sustained days and hazardous air quality levels, like, you know, you're, I mean, this is 2020, so we're talking about unprecedented, like, you know, this is really <laughs> stuff that we haven't seen before. Um, so everyone trying to figure out and adapt to that at the same time. I know things have been, I've been dealing with the smoke and stuff, uh, you know, being outside a little bit more than probably most people right now, so... Uh, definitely been an interesting thing to deal with. Yeah, I believe that uh, um, our own Gary Warner had the story on five uh, five Oregon cities this week have recorded their all time worst air quality rating um, since it's been measured. So, yeah, unprecedented is probably a good word for it, um, and it is a good reminder that uh, you know now we all have our masks to protect from covid but those face coverings are not going to protect you from the wildfire smoke you need at least an n95 i believe is the most commonly available for protections from that so definitely uh as the smoke stays around uh, stay safe out there and, and try to try to stay inside as best you can weather looks at least promising um we had a story on that in uh today's edition of uh east oregonian some some weather systems moving through that may at least help push some of that out. So hopefully some relief on the way in terms of the smoke. Uh, we did have uh, a, at least a, a small fire breakout here in the county earlier this week down uh, in the southern part of Umatilla County, about 12 miles to the northeast of Ukiah. It was in the Umatilla National Forest. It's the Birch Creek Fire. Still burning a little bit, but mostly uh, contained. There was uh, some evacuations of hunters and some forest visitors in the area um back on monday but thankfully seems like uh they were able to get some resources over there quickly and we'll uh we'll keep monitoring that uh throughout the weekend but for now that fire has been mostly contained uh but some of the the big stories uh of this week that i think came uh, mostly as a little bit of a surprise uh definitely caught me off guard earlier this week when pendleton police chief stuart roberts been in the job for nearly 18 years announced he will be retiring effective december 1st 
once again, we have a story on that in today's uh, edition of the the East Oregonian. But I think just initial reaction to that was kind of surprising. And I, I think it's the just the fact that in over the past, over, it's been over a decade, well over a decade uh, that Roberts has been there, and he's kind of just seemed like a nearly a permanent fixture of of kind of city leadership here in the area. And Antonio, I know you've you've been here longer than we have so it's but at the same time he's been the police chief since any of us have been in the area and I think it's just uh it was surprising but it came down to for him family reasons wanting some more time to to spend with his family and just kind of the toll of the job he's been uh in in law enforcement since uh since really the start of his adult life 29 years and I think for I think anybody can kind of understand no matter what career path you're in that that many years of service is going to take its toll but certainly it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of months as December 1st we'll likely have a new police chief that is at least certainly the plan at this point and it's going to be a time of transition for the city and at a time when obviously the nature uh, and funding for law enforcement has been a, a topic of discussion and of of a lot of contention throughout the country. So I, it's surely to be a a topic and a, and a job transition that we'll, we'll certainly focus on here at the East Oregonian. And I think we'll be at the forefront of a lot of people's minds over the next couple of months. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned he was, what, police chief, what, for 18 years? Just about, uh, yeah. So- yeah, so that means that uh, there are uh, students in high school who have never <laughs> not known uh, Stuart Roberts as a police chief um, of Pendleton. So yeah, it's it is it's a big move. Um, you know, he started uh, uh, pretty young as police, and uh, and is I guess retiring relatively young um, for um, at least compared to the age that a lot of other people retire at. Um, but yeah, I think it just speaks to um yeah uh just the i i guess the difficulty of police work in this modern age um he's talked a lot about the difficulties of recruiting the difficulties of trying to hire police officers and hire qualified police officers um and uh even in a town um that is considered relatively peaceful that is con- you know that where the crime rates have been low um, this job, uh, obviously, um, I guess maybe taking the toll wasn't the right word, but, um, warmed down to a certain extent and, uh, he's ready to move on. Um, and as you mentioned, it's, it's going to be difficult to replace him. Um, you know, it's, it, he, uh, see, never didn't seem to ever, uh, provoke, uh, outrage in the community, which seems to be a pretty rare thing these days. Uh, it doesn't really matter what community you go into, whether it's uh, uh, criticism of of systemic um, racism or brutality, or even just kind of more nuts and bolts issues like competency. It seems like a lot of uh, uh, of police departments have trouble holding on to police chiefs. So um, it, it definitely will be interesting to see where this goes. And there's a lot of different directions, whether they make an internal hire or whether they look outside the community. Um, I think this is something that people will be monitoring and, and uh, uh, play, um, placing attention on to. Yeah, I think if you want to just get 
a, a nice picture, kind of a representation of uh, of Stuart Roberts' ability over his time to 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 navigate the difficulty of being a police officer uh, in a small community and and at this time where, as he's talked about, it, police accountability or credibility with the public is certainly it certainly seems to be at an all time low. Uh, and there's plenty of room uh, for police to to be in the news for controversy. Look and just look at everything that we've seen over the past several months uh, during the protest movement, and then look at our coverage from a couple weeks ago of of Stuart Roberts and how the Pendleton Police Department handled the 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 large Black Lives Matter march through the city, where. I think you'd be hard pressed to find people in the community that are are going to be very critical of how how he had handled that um, that situation in terms of just ensuring safety and working uh, with organizers. So I, I think that 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 type of stories seem kind of unique compared to what we've seen across the country this past summer. And I I agree it's going to be. Uh, a difficult position to replace, I think it is in any community, but with uh, somebody with Roberts, uh, the the tenure that he had here will be difficult to replace uh, for the city and a, a tough decision coming for uh, city manager Rob Corbett. I, I got a chance to speak with him a little bit yesterday, and uh, he said he is scheduling some sit-downs with uh, the police department to kind of figure out if there is an internal candidate or if they're going to open it up to uh, some outside um to some outside candidates. So uh, we'll keep following that uh, over the next couple of weeks is once again, December 1st is when Roberts will retire, but it wasn't the only bit of surprise and change of uh, local government, if you will, here as uh, we also had the announced retirement of Paul Chalmers. Uh, it, it came through, uh, it was announced through the County, but uh, Antonio, as I know you covered uh, Paul Chalmers, Paul Chalmers, excuse me, is far from just a, a, a county uh, uh, staff member and, and and doesn't just serve a role there, but uh, with the city as well. So that's another uh, change coming for the community and uh, and some of who they've got to know uh, in terms of working through governments and, and, and helping make some of those decisions. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, Paul Chalmers has been obviously a guy who's been on the scene for quite a while. Um, if I remember the press release correctly, he's been heading up the tax assessment apart department for 20, 30 years, um, a very long time. And yeah, it was, it was a surprise and, uh, talking with him, it seems like his, uh, that retirement was a, a, a bit of a short term goal, um, intended to retire at the end of the year, but the timeline accelerated, um, pretty quickly once his house sold, um, he, uh, I asked him because he was just elected to another four-year term on the Pendleton City Council in May, asked him what changed between then and now. And uh, yeah, he said that even back in May, he wasn't intending on, uh, on necessarily leaving Pendleton, but now he's keeping his options open. And he tends to serve as a Pendleton City Councilor um, for uh, the next, uh, you know, for as long as he uh, remained in town, but um, he may not remain in town long term. So, again, uh, another one of these situations where um, you have a guy in, in a position for a very long time. Uh, the announcement seems sudden, um, but 
yeah, I think you, you kind of find these positions all around the county um, where you have someone with a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and they retire. Um, and, and in the county's case, um, they already have seem to have a successor in place, someone who has experience with the county and experience with um, with property taxes. Um, but uh, yeah, again, it's, uh, you know, it, we're kind of dealing with this now where you have people in a position 20 or for 20, 30 years, um, and then uh, you have a time of transition. Um, and uh, as he told me, uh, property tax collection is not a popular, <laughs> not a popular position. Uh, and it is one that gets a lot of scrutiny because um, just because uh, you're dealing with thousands of tax accounts and you're dealing with something that uh, that a lot of people pay close attention to. So, um, yeah, it, it, as you said, uh, it'll affect two different roles and uh, we'll see how those uh, fall out. Yeah, I'll always uh, remember uh, one of my first days here in Pendleton last summer as an as an intern, I got to. Uh, have a sit down with Paul Chalmers, and uh, I I was trying to cover some issues involving property taxes and some tax uh, tax measures that were being considered for uh, uh, Milton Freewater, um, and I knew nothing about property taxes when I came out here, and I had a sit down for about an hour with Paul, and he he walked me through a lot of the basics of it. By far one of the most knowledgeable and, and a, a very nice uh, nice guy that taught me a lot that day and I, I know has served the community here for for a long time so it's certainly going to be a change uh within the county uh antonio just from the city aspect what's kind of the when paul uh paul does uh leave town and that that seat is vacated what's kind of the process that will go through there for getting his replacement yeah so typically the way they've handled it is they declare a vacancy and then they uh, appoint a successor so first, the uh, city councilor has to inform them that they intend to resign. Uh, then he or she resigns. They declare vacancy. Um, and then they, the way they've done it often has been to uh, accept applications from people in the community. He's an at-large seat, so anyone in the town could apply. Um, uh, but, uh, but that's not necessarily the way they have to do it. Uh, there was recently two city councilors appointed who were um, elected back in May and their predecessors were retiring early. So they just uh, gave them the position so they could get a head start on it. Um, so uh, he, to me, it's a little unclear uh, how it would work if he were to say retire or if he, or if he were to leave town uh, before his term ends um, because he doesn't start his new term until 20, uh, January 2021. Um, so that would be kind of an interesting uh, problem that they would have to figure out. Um, but uh, it's, it would seem that if he would leave, then someone new would take the position. Um, and I would anticipate that it would they would just uh, open up, open it up to applications and then appoint someone from there. Well, I'm sure that's a process that I know you'll be following and we'll have uh, we'll unravel as much of that as we can uh, in the coming weeks uh, in in, uh, in the East Oregonian. But uh, moving along a little bit, I did want to, uh, at least before we end this, uh, this edition of the podcast, just a, a brief overview of some of the uh, COVID-19 case numbers in the area as of this week. Uh, if you'll remember last week, a little bit surprisingly, we were uh, here in Umatilla County moved into phase two. Uh, and some of that confusion came as the county hadn't been meeting 
uh, all the metrics required. Uh, that would be six county indicators regarding hospitalization trends, new case number trends, uh, and uh, and hospitalizations and the sort uh, the sort. So they had met all six of those county indicators, but they had more than a hundred cases uh, per one hundred thousand until the state said that they were going to uh, exclude numbers uh, uh, from the two prisons located here in the county. That dropped the county below that hundred per 100,000 people metric. So they were able to move into phase two. So now that we're there, seems like just the next step is going to to be meeting those uh, metrics to get schools open. And just a brief uh, update on those. As of last week, these are the most updated numbers we have from the Oregon Health Authority. There was 66 cases in the county. That's an 81.3 per 100,000 rate. Uh, that has to drop below 30 for some schools to open and below 10 for all schools to open uh, to in-person instruction. Uh, and got to get the test rate down to 5%. And that'll be for three straight weeks you have to reach that mark. And rate of positive tests in the county has gone up to 20% for the first time since the start of August. So that's not trending in the right direction, but we'll keep following that uh, as uh, as reopening schools remains one of the main goals here in the county. And so far this week, we don't have the per 100,000 rate, but there have been 35 total cases reported in the county. All right, before we end this episode, though, do want to look a little bit ahead to the weekend. And really, I think one of the things that's glaring with where we are right now in the calendar year, and what we're not talking about, is the Pendleton Roundup. We know COVID-19 made that pretty much impossible this year, given uh, the restrictions that the governor and the state put in place. Antonio, I know you've been working on a story for this weekend, but as we talked about at the start of this episode, the poor air quality and the smoke as well kind of throws a different uh, kind of twist into things out here as you have to wonder what, even had the, the roundup been able to go on, how everything that has been 2020 would have still given it some challenges to, to progress forward. And uh, I, I certainly, I don't want to, to reveal everything, Antonio, but do you have just a, anything uh, kind of about the roundup that you want to want to tease uh, going into the weekend for what people can expect to, to read about? Right. Back in June uh, was when the Roundup announced that they would uh, no longer be able to uh, hold the rodeo this year. It was a big it was a big decision, something uh, something that hadn't happened in nearly 80 years of uh, 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 in their whole 100 plus year history. And uh, so one of the, the you know, we we kind of uh, had initial discussions with them about what happened, um, but we wanted to take a deeper look at it, and so we spent the past few months um, gathering, uh, making public records requests, gathering documents, trying to get a sense of what the discussions were like between the state and the roundup as they were trying to figure out uh, what they were going to do, um, because for a while the line from the roundup was uh, well there wasn't there wasn't much. Um, much discussion from the roundup after in um, I guess May and June when the governor had declared that 
most large events either needed to be canceled or significantly altered. Um, but their line was, we're still figuring this out. We're talking with the governor's office. Um, we'll, you know, we'll come back to you when we have a decision. And uh, so we wanted to figure out what, what was happening behind the scenes. Um, we got emails, we got documents, um, and uh, we got an operational guide for what the roundup would have done uh, in the event uh, that they were allowed to to go on this year. Um, so it's an interesting, I guess now it's a historical document. They ended up canceling it. Um, but we uh, talked with, we not only talked with the roundup, we talked with Governor Brown, we talked with uh, state health officials, um, and we even kind of have a look ahead. Uh, what are, what is the roundup going to look like in 2021? Um, uh, because right now they're planning, it's a full steam ahead kind of thing. That's what they're looking forward to um, as they've kind of spent this year fundraising for all the businesses and organizations that are affected by Roundup's cancellation. Um, and uh, it's kind of an open question at this point. So um, it's hopefully it's uh, it's going to give readers uh, kind of an interesting look about what happened this year, what will happen next year, and, uh, and just all the implications that this uh, pandemic has on, uh, on a rodeo that seemed to operate regardless of what was happening on the outside world well you can read about that and much more in saturday's edition of the east oregonian can pick it up uh and read it in print find it on our website eastoregonian.com be sure to follow along uh, on our social media as well on twitter and facebook and uh thank you for listening uh to uh our podcast today uh we'll be back next week with another episode uh but for now uh, I've been Alex Castle. Thank you to Antonio Sierra, Ben Lonergan, and uh, thank you to you. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next time.